This is a disclaimer. Ben and I do not actually agree or believe these conspiracy theories. Now, on to the show. Hello and Merry Christmas from all of us at Conspiracy Talk. We hope you have a very wonderful holiday. We are sorry for being so late in getting this episode recorded. We had originally intended for the season finale to be in September, but due to COVID restrictions, as well as the increased workload at school, we were unable to do so. Now, on to the show. Welcome back to Conspiracy Talk. It's been a while, hasn't it? It's been two months. I like how we planned for the season finale to be in September, but it's now December with still no season finale. We're working on it, though. Yeah. The season finale will be coming before January is the plan. Well, it might be after January at this point. I'm not sure yet. But we do have a guest this week. My sister's fiancé, Will Cup with two Ps. Hello, everybody. Yes, that's C-U-P-P for anybody wondering. Aha. Uh-huh. Oh, sorry, that was rude. Um, so... <laughs> Uh, Before we jump into anything else, I would like to point out that our website link has changed for our Anchor-based page. It's now anchor.fm conspiracy-talk-podcast compared to the dash the dash podcast from, well, the past year. In addition to that, we've also been accepted to be streamed on CastBox. And we have applied to be featured. So that's exciting. So we're waiting to hear back on that. Well, we've heard back on that and we are going to be, but I've got no further information. How's life been in COVID times? It's been good. Help has been a struggle at times, but the class is still enjoyable. Ben, have you ordered your book? Yes. Good. Uh, she had us order a book called Race Matters is a Sociology Book. We're going to be reading it next semester. I How have you been, Will? I've been good. Uh, you know, the engaged life is, is pretty good, even though it's 2020. Um, still an awesome year. College is going great. That's good to hear because a lot of people, especially around here in, in our community, have been like they've been really struggling with all their online classes. So there's there's oh, that, my- and then so there's that, and uh, well, our high school is currently under um, scrutiny from the student body. So, ooh, why is that? Uh, we've had plenty of COVID cases. And they've been like, okay, we're going to have the school board walk through. No, we're fine. Anyway, so we've had sports teams quarantined. We've had, um, at one point, most of the freshman class was gone. Oh, wait, I, I didn't know this. <laughs> like, it was during it was during when everyone got quarantined. Like, all the freshmen from basketball oh. had to stay home for two weeks. And, like, most of the freshmen... We're on a basketball team of some sort or a sports team. So there's that. Yeah. Anything else?
Let's see. Yeah, most of our teams are quarantined for a bit. I feel sorry for the kids that had to get quarantined twice. One during volleyball, and then one whenever basketball started. Basketball has been quarantined twice, and the volleyball team was once. So they've been quarantined three times if they've played both. Which, honestly, if at that point, if they've been quarantined three times, it, they just need to, like, calm down with the sports. And then another thing I'd like to bring up about the whole entire COVID situation is uh, we're not going to tell you what our uh, our audition choir has made. So, like, if you're able to find our, our choir, the one you have to audition for on YouTube, on the stage, you can see this paper. But it's too far away from the camera. And basically what this paper is for is making bets with money for when we think school is going to get closed due to COVID. I figured that back in September. I know, but a long time ago. Yeah, I lost a dollar on September 23rd, so darn. Yeah, I I would have bet for back in September if I was a betting man, but so far, not yet. Yeah. All right, let's get into topics, shall we? Our first topic of the day happens to be Kevin from Home Alone grew up to be Jigsaw from Saw. I'm skeptical. Then you came up with these topics. Why don't you explain explain this? Because right. I don't know. So the reason why some people believe this, it's like, okay, you see what Kevin has done to the people that broke into his house on Home Alone? You know, set up these traps and what all. So some people believe that maybe these are the early signs of what possibly turned this young, innocent child, well, maybe not innocent, into Jigsaw. I mean, it makes sense. He did torture two thieves for, like, mm-hmm. hours. Well, at least he knows how to protect his own territory. Is, is Jigsaw very territorial? I don't know. I haven't seen Saw. You've seen Saw, right? No, definitely not. I've seen theory videos about Saw, though. Got it. Okay, so all of us here have never seen Saw. You know, I did ask Dulcie if she wanted to have a romantic movie night watching Saw, but she sadly rejected that idea. I think Chester Binky was actually one Saw movie. He's been seeing her late part or was before he died. All right, so I'll read from the article. Did Kevin McAllister become the serial killer known as Jigsaw after the first two Home Alone films? In 1990, 20th Century Fox delivered a major holiday family-friendly hit in Home Alone. The movie introduced audiences to Kevin McAllister, Macaulay Culkin, as he is accidentally left behind his family goes on vacation and must fend off burglars. Both installments of the franchise showed Kevin's ingenuity, I don't know if you pronounced that right, oh well, in accomplishing this goal. And according to one theory, he later became the serial killer from the Saw franchise. Jigsaw is, ter- is the terrifying and twisted killer of the Saw franchises, well, of the Saw franchise, who Kevin theorized to become. In the Saw movies, it has been revealed that Jigsaw's real name is John Kramer, after being diagnosed with a terminal illness. Though Kramer decides to make the most of his limited time left alive by becoming a killer, his plan typically revolves around trapping his victims in a location filled with games and puzzles that they must solve to stay alive. It may not be clear right away. But let's discuss the evidence supporting the theory that Kevin became Jigsaw. Also, Jonathan, just a quick question. Can we copyright strike for reading directly from an article? As long as we give credit to Screen Rant, no. Okay. Got it. Credit to Screen Rant. 
credit soon? There, it is done. Okay. Related to every film. Okay, that's just every related link. Okay. Well, Kevin appeared to be a normal kid. One of the reoccurring traits he has in Home Alone movies is a violent tendency. He repeatedly harms the wet bandits, and rightfully so, but he also takes a pleasure from their pain. While the, har while the harm Jigsaw Flex is meant to give his victims a new outlook on life, he must enjoy the torture and pain he's causing to some degree. It isn't too difficult to believe that Kevin's mind could snap after hearing devastating news and revert him back to his childlike place, just with a more violent aspect. Who named the child Macaulay? Uh, no, that's that, that's the actor's actual name. I know. I'm reading. I'm reading the article very, very slowly, and I got to the part. It's like the the movie introduced audiences to Kevin McAllister, played by Macaulay Culkin. First of all. Did he have an... Was his nickname Mac in high school? Weird. Is, it could be Mac, but I don't know. I feel like... That has to be like an... An old family name of some sort. Or maybe like a type of name that has like a foreign history in like maybe some European country. Probably Scottish. Also, the last name Kramer makes me think of... Uh, break. I think it's Breaking Bad. I've never watched it, but I've heard clips of it. I had the whole entire series spoiled to me from this teacher we used to have at the school who did Intro to Industrial Tech. Mm. Mm hmm. I believe I know who of which you were speaking. I remember he was like, I remember I was like, I've never seen Breaking Bad. He's like, oh, Breaking Bad is a great show. And he just explains the whole entire plot. I was like, well, I guess I don't need to watch it now. Yeah, five, 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 five. All right, so like, yeah, he does laugh when he smacks the guy with the golden tooth with paint can to the face. But can that be called violent tendencies? I mean, he's defending his home. It's, I mean, yes, it might not have been warranted, but like, a paint can, maybe. Maybe he is Jigsaw, because he uses a paint can to try and knock out a full-grown man. And also they find, if you haven't watched it, here's a spoiler, but it's been long enough that I believe I can say this. Because it's a 30-year-old movie, and if you haven't watched it, quite honestly, you're uncultured. But they find his golden tooth on the floor when they come home from vacation. And the dad's like, what's this? Hmm, but like the paint can thing, it's whack. All right, let's continue reading the article. All of the pain that both Kevin and Jigsaw caused people from the similar tactic. Ah, I gotta reread that again because I messed up. All of the pain that both Kevin and Jigsaw caused people come from similar tactics too. Kevin crafts elaborate traps for the wet bandits to fall over and over again. Meanwhile, Jigsaw designs similarly intricate games for people to play. Some of which even has similarities to early traps or moments from Kevin's childhood. One similarity that particularly stands out is Kevin being scared of the furnace in his basement, imagining it could come to life, and how Jigsaw burned someone alive in the furnace in Saw 2. This could be Jigsaw using some of his own childhood fears as inspiration. With some personality similarities between Kevin and Jigsaw, the question we're left is whether or not the logic behind them being the same person tracks. Last time Kevin McAllister is seen in 1992 in New York, 
Hopkins is seen in New York, 1992 New York, and after experiencing the East, the East Coast, it's possible that he moves out there, specifically Pennsylvania, when he gets older. From that point on, Kevin would need to change his name to John Kramer, and the rest of his life would, could fall into place. They do almost look identical, too, with blue eyes, blonde hair, and similar jawline, and Colkin has shown Kevin could go, could go full saw. So, like, that furnace in the movie, just as a kid, was absolutely terrifying. I'm sure I was more scared of that than I would be of the Saw movies now. So that provides some evidence for the theory, in my opinion. Well, Mike, oh, you go ahead. At, at the end of the first and second, and especially in the beginning of the first and second Home Alones, he doesn't have a very good relationship with his family. So it would make sense that he would want to move from wherever they, his home was to the East Coast to get away from them and dissociate himself entirely from his family, changing his name to John Kramer. So it is entirely possible, possi not only possible, but plausible, because he doesn't seem to have a good relationship with his family. All right, and then here's the final part of the article. The biggest hole in the theory may be the timing of this. As Kevin is just a kid in, home in the Home Alone movies, but Kramer is an older man just a decade later when Saw hits theaters. For what it's worth, Saw creator James Wan has supported this theory. But if the events of the Saw films didn't happen in conjunction, I mean, in conjunction with the theatrical releases, then this theory will hold together better and could mean Kevin did become Jigsaw after all. Hmm. I mean, it makes sense. Like, especially with the similarities with the blue eyes and the blonde hair. I... I know we have that uh, thing on the front of the podcast. It's like, we don't believe these, but this is actually sounding more and more believable. I guess it's a video along with the article, but I'm not going to click on it due to one copyright reasons, probably. And then also, should we address why one of our episodes is copyrighted on YouTube? So, yes. Yeah. So, a while back, especially with Australia's haters, was the first victim of this, and the others have kind of just died away since. But Australia's haters is our third episode, and it was copyright stricken by the guy. I don't, I, re I don't remember his name, but he, like, he filed a copyright claim against us for using the term Australia's haters. He can't do anything about the fact that it's like on every other platform except YouTube. But he didn't copyright it in the first place. It shouldn't be it shouldn't be allowed to do that. But if he's listening to this now, you can take a long walk off a short pier because like I we had to stop posting our episodes on YouTube because of that. <laughs> because everyone after that would get one. And we only had three other episodes on other than that. We went up to six, and I've removed all of most of them actually. Okay. I also I, remember I looked at his channel one day when I was looking on, when I was working on the correction episode. I don't think he actually believes Australia doesn't exist. I think he's kind of one of those channels that like come up with jokes and trolls people. But I don't think he actually believes Australia doesn't exist. Either way, we got a copyright claim from him, so he can walk. Are we talking about the Foo Fighters song of Walk or the Pantera song called Walk? 
neither of those, because we don't want another copyright claim. Yeah, good point. All right, Krampus. I'm having so much trouble getting Google to work. This is insanity. Let's see, I figured we could cover Krampus, because I guess this could technically be our Christmas cryptid. Don't you remember the Skinwalkers, man? What happened when we talked about Skinwalkers? We don't bring them up. Ooh, can I can I be privy to this? Well, supposedly, if you bring up Skinwalkers, that just alludes them more to your location. Ben's being paranoid. Yeah. All right, Krampus. And for those of you who don't know, Krampus is just evil Santa. Yeah, that that, that 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 sums him up pretty well. Okay, from the Wikipedia article. This article, oh, I'm going to read the disclaimer at the top of the article. This article is about the folklore figure. For the film, see Krampus, parentheses, film, parentheses. Krampus is a horned anthropomorphic figure in the alpine folklore who, during the Christmas season, scares children who have misbehaved, assisting to St. Nicholas, the first of the three good December men. Other two are Santa Claus, and Dead Morez. I have no idea who the heck that is. I mean, I know who Santa is. I don't know who Dead Morez is. Anywho, who rewards the well-behaved on the 5th December at night with modest gifts? Oranges, dried fruit, Walmarts, uh, Walmarts, not Walmarts, and chocolate. <laughs> and, the bad, and the bad ones with birch rod only. The origin of the figure is unclear. Some folklorists and anthropologists have postulated have postulated that it is having pre-Christian origins. In traditional parades and such events as the Krampusloff, English Krampus run, oh, that's nice, young men dressed as Krampus participate. Such events occur annually in most alpine towns. Krampus is featured on holiday greeting cards called Krampuskarten. I probably butchered that. There's I think you're butchering every single word. Thank you, John. Since oh, you're very welcome. Okay, John, let me read. Since 2013, the character has become better known globally, having been portrayed in the Hollywood horror movies. Almost unknown before this time, Krampus has begun to be part of the American popular culture. This is also big with the What? Free Christian before the birth of Christ. Yeah, or just before pre-Christian contact, I guess. Right? Christianity was uh, around from the beginning, if you're looking at it in a biblical context. So, like, is he just a demon or, like, part of the devil? Well, it does It does get onto that later on in the article. The history of Krampus... Right. Okay, we're in Origins. The history of the Krampus figure has been theorized as stretching back to pre-Christian Alpine traditions. In a brief article discussing the figure published in 1958, Morris Bruce wrote... There seems to be little doubt as to his true identity, for in no other form is there a full regalia of the horned god of the witches so well preserved. The birch, apart from its phallic significance, may have a connection. <laughs> oh well, it's right. just a word to some people. It's educational, yes, like this podcast. Yep. Okay. This podcast is not educational. <laughs> disagree. <laughs> I mean, Mr. Klublein said that like we actually did talk about some good topics on this. Yeah, well, he was on an episode, so I think he's biased about it. <laughs> I apologize for that if you're listening, 
Good sir. You're still one of my favorite teachers. Same here. All right. Back to what I was saying. Uh, besides its significance, may have a connection with the initiation rites of certain witch covens. Oh, great. Oh, boy. Rites of which entailed binding and scour as scour scourging as a form of mock death. The change could have been introduced in the Christian attempt to bind the devil, but again, they could be a remnant of the pagan in initiation rites. Discussing his observations in 1975 while in a small town in Styria, anthropologist John J. Honigman wrote that the St. Nicholas Festival we are describing incorporates cultural elements widely distributed in Europe, in some cases going back to pre-Christian times. Nicholas himself became popular in Germany around the 11th century. The feast dedicated to this patron of children is, is only one winter occasion in which children are the objects of special attention, others being Martinmas, the Feast of the Holy Innocents, and Ninger's Day. Masked devils acting bo boisterously and making nuances of themselves are known in Germany since at least the 16th century, while animal masked devils combining dreadful comic... I'm not even going to say that word because I can't... I'm not going to attempt. I'm going to butcher it if I did. Antics appeared in medieval church plays. A large literature of much of its European folklore bears on these subjects. Austrians in the community we studied are quite aware of heathen of heathen elements being blended with Christian elements in the St. Nicholas customs and other traditional winter ceremonies. They believe Krampus derives from pagan supernatural who was assimilated, who was assimilated to the Christian devil. Krampus figures persisted, and by the 17th century, Krampus had been incorporated into Christian winter celebration by being by pairing Krampus with St. Nicholas. So, uh, so looking at some of these. Yeah, I think we were both about to go on the same track, Jonathan. It looks like Krampus is a bull-type figure with horns. Maybe that's a relationship to, like, Baal or some type of pagan god in the Bible. I'm not sure. And then I think he also has some influences of goats. Oh, okay. Which, that could also... Oh, like... Yeah, good point. Since I know that... The oh, like... Goats... Mm -hmm. All right, modern history. In the aftermath of 1932 election in Austria, the Krampus tradition was prohibited by the Adolfus regime and the clerical fascist Fatherland's front. I'm not going to pronounce that German again. In the Christian Social Party, in the 1950s, the government distributed pamphlets titled Krampus is an Evil Man. Towards the end of the century, a popular resurgence of Krampus celebrations occurred and continues today. The Krampus tradition is being revived in Bavaria at the Bavaria. As well, along with local artistic tradition of hand-carved wooden masks, in 2019 there were reports of drunken and or disorderly conduct by masked Krampuses in some Austrian towns. So I'd like to point out that if you're looking, like Satan has been, like people have described him as like goat head and covered in hair with like a, the tongue of a snake, basically. So if you look at the, we're using Wikipedia, by the way, wikipedia.org. Uh, if you, it's, it shows a, a greeting cards from the 1900s. And it shows a man with vaguely goat-ish features with bat-looking ears and bullhorns covered in hair with a really long tongue. So like, maybe, maybe Christianity has actually had an influence on like the image of Krampus over time because it looks very, very similar to uh, modern depictions of what people think Satan looks like. Yeah. All right. And Whack. Then, 
Yeah, it is whack. Okay, appearance. Although Krampus appears in many variations, most share some common physical characteristics. He is a hairy, usually brown or black, and has the cloven hooves and horns of a goat. His long pointed tongue roll I mean, his long pointed tongue lolls out. That that's a word? Lol. Like lolls. Yeah, like you know how a cow will like roll its tongue around outside of its mouth? I, I guess. That, that's what it does. Alright. And he has fangs. Krampus carries chains, thought to be thought to symbolize the binding of the devil by the Christian church. He thrashes the chains for dramatic effect. The chains are sometimes accompanied with bells of various sizes. Of more pagan origins are the rutin, bundles of birch branches that Krampus carries with or carries and with he occasionally swatches children. The rutin may have had significance in pre-Christian pagan initiation rites. The birch branches are replaced with a whip in some representations. Sometimes Krampus appears with a sack of, or a basket strapped to his back. This is to cart off evil children for drowning, eating, or to transport to hell. Some of the older ver- versions make mention of naughty children being put in the bag and taken away. This quality can be found in other companions of St. Nicholas, such as Zlot Pipe. I don't know if I pronounced that one right, but I don't know. You want any? You want to add some two cents to this one, John? Um. So, uh, I actually have an image related to this that I'm gonna send. Uh, through GroupMe. Is it a scary? Oh no, no, it's not. But it's like it's an image that that uh, I found a while ago. But I thought it was really funny. Now I know where I recognize the the figure thing from. Because it's Krampus with a basket on his back, carrying children on a red sled down a hill. Oh. So if you look at the the chat, a hundred and eighty-five. Oh dear. I'll probably look at it after the we're done recording because I don't know if my Skype is able to be opened while in another app. That's fine. Okay. All right. So like. Krampus. I mean, it's a movie, so it makes sense that it would have been integrated into a popular American culture, because like it grossed a crap ton of money on it when it opened in the box office. How many years ago was that became a movie? Seven. It happened in 2015. Okay. But it grossed $61.5 million at the box office, which... I mean, it had a budget of fifteen million, so that's a three hundred percent return. Okay. That seems pretty low budget for a film, but then again, I guess it was. Uh, where is it? Right. Uh, does anyone want to contribute the article? Like, do you want to pick up where I left off? Or okay, because right now it goes off in the feasts, and then. I guess some other stuff. Greeting cards. I wonder what the conspiracy is as to why this only seems to like appear in like Germany or Austria or that sort of region of Europe. I wonder where the origin of that comes from. I think it part of it just I think part of it just has to do with old pagan tradition. And also it's worth mentioning Faust gives uh this gives off vibes of Faust and that was also German. Wait, where do you, is something you don't wait, is this something you already know? Yeah, Faust, like, is, I think, my understanding, it's, like, a really old, like, book, and it's, like, 
I can't remember the story, but Faust is like a demon-like figure, exactly like Krampus. Oh, that's even more scary. But it's also German, so... Okay. Is this something you kind of like has passed down to your family for generations, Will? Or? No, no. Okay. <laughs> Definitely not. I wasn't sure if your family was also German or what. We like to tell the kids about this story. <laughs> you know, just so they I, I've, I've looked it up, and it's... It's a pact where a person trades something of supreme moral or spiritual importance, uh, such as a soul or some worldly material, to, like, a demon. So it's basically... And then they give you knowledge, power, or riches. Okay. Well, I feel tired of talking about scary stuff about Christmas, so let's go back to the list of what else... Oh, yeah, more Christmas movie conspiracy theories. Oh. Ooh. So have you seen the Santa Claus? Uh, is is this the one? Oh, well, yeah. Is this the one that? It's Tim Allen. About? Yeah, yeah. Is it, are we talking about how they're cannibals, or is that a different Santa Claus movie? No, I'm talking about how Tim Allen murdered Santa Claus in cold blood, and just oh, left him there to die in the snow. And then he became Santa Claus. Yes. So it's like reincarnation. Yeah. I remember that I saw one of the movies in theaters when I was younger. I think it was the one that had Jack Frost in it. The Santa Claus. Yes, that one. Okay. All right. All right. Should we read directly from the article or just go through and look at some of these? Because it also mentioned Home Alone's Kevin McAllister grew up to be Jigsaw's... Well, I mean, became Jigsaw one night. The first theory on this list is Santa Claus proves that the North Pole is filled with cannibals. Yeah. Oh, that's um. Pretty metal, bro. In, in, interesting. Uh, the second one is Santa is actually an exiled wizard from Harry Potter. I don't think I could ever see that, honestly. Let's read it because it sounds interesting enough to me. Another theory about the Santa not... would have you believe that Santa that Santa is an alumni of Hogwarts. We all know how Santa is magical, but the evidence does stack up. How does Santa get up and down chimneys? Flu powder, of course, and why can't we see him? How does he get to every house in one night? These jobs are made a little easier with invisibility cloak and a time turner, of course. That actually makes a lot of sense. Uh... Time turners, though, they're held under lock and key. Very, um very tightly controlled by the Ministry of Magic, so... Well, no Hermione was given one so she could take two classes at the same time. So, uh, like, Dumbledore <laughs> smuggled one to her. That's because she's a nerd. <laughs> so nope. if you're a nerd, you get special privileges. That's, that's you, the... That's if you the one for school, then, like, they must not be as tightly controlled as, as, as said in the books. Or John Candy's Home Alone character is the devil. I read this one also, and then also the, the one right after is, no, wait, Mia from Love actually is the devil. It's like, okay, cool. But not cool at the same time. Oh, I want to read that Buddy the Elf is a creep. Oh, okay. You want to read that one, Greg? Yes, okay. I'll take it. Buddy, Will Ferrell's maple syrup-loving character in Elf, 
elf. <laughs> he was beloved for his childlike demeanor and over-the-top Christmas spirit. But some people believe this supposed naivete may all be a ruse. And if that is, in fact, the case, then Buddy's behavior is questionable at best. Buddy, under this theory, would be a sociopath who forces his way into random homes through coercion and befriends a young child, all while stalking a random woman, Zoe Deschanel. He met through a job for which he was never actually hired. The time, apparently, Elf was actually directed by the guy who directed Iron Man, who is also now part of the main people behind the Mandalorian. John Favreau. Yeah, John Favreau. All hail the creator of the Mandalorian. This is the way. This is the way. Best star on the best star. Anyway. All right, and then could we and this he's like a pedophile. Wait, who? Wait, what? Buddy the elf. If the th- if the theory around Buddy the Elf happens to be true. This man is around literal children for years. Like all the elves are half his size. Did all the actors have dwarfism or is he just really tall? I, I don't know. All right, and then there's Rudolph, his daughter's uh what's an, what's another word? Ill- illegitimate child. Yeah, I'll show up that yeah. Yeah. As compelling as it is absurd, one writer believes that Rudolph isn't being told the truth about his parentage. We know, of course, no. Rudolph doesn't look like either his mother or his father, and that the other reindeer used to laugh and call him names, and that the father of Rudolph's love interest, Clarice, seems incensed at the idea of his daughter being seen with a red-nosed reindeer. The only explanation is that the red nose is like a scarlet letter A. The theory goes, Rudolph is an illegitimate child, A. Not so nice word, an unclean birth. You can read the full docket of evidence here. Well, I mean, oh, okay, the here is a link to something. Uh, oh. What? Why should Donner be ashamed of himself just because he tried to hide the nose? All right, so we're looking at a Reddit article here uh, titled Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, Red Reindeer is Donner's Ill- illegitimate child. So uh, the begin- it begins, just for fun, this is based off Romeo Muller's screenplay for the 1964 Rankin Bass Christmas special. And as Ben said, Rudolph doesn't look like his mom or dad. Where on earth did he get that red nose from? It's like a car headlight. Shouldn't his mom or dad have something similar as well? Unless it's a genetic defect and it doesn't happen that often. When all the other reindeer find out about Rudolph's nose, Santa's reaction is to be mad at Rudolph's father. Donner, you should be ashamed of yourself. Why should he be ashamed of himself? Just because he tried to hide the nose. The rejection of Rudolph is pretty extreme, even extending to Santa and the adult reindeer coach. From now on, gang, we won't let Rudolph join in any reindeer games. That's a quote from the reindeer coach. Along with his dad, to some extent. You could argue that the culture of the North Pole was simply to reject and exclude misfits, but Hermie the Elf wasn't rejected as extremely as Rudolph was, even though he was a misfit. Hermie was terrible at his job and only re- was only rejected after refusing to work and support other elves at toy making, not to mention singing in the tenor section when everyone else is clearly an alto. 
Why weren't you at elf practice? I want to be a dentist. Rudolph, on the other hand, is great at reindeer things, leaping and prancing with great talent, but he is rejected almost with religious fervor. You couldn't even argue that it's a racial allegory with Rudolph's birth being biracial. They're two reindeer. <laughs> so, like, the next part is a quote between, or is a conversation between Clarice and her father. And that starts out with an example of the extreme nature of the alienation from adults is Clarice's dad, who refuses to let Rudolph even be seen with Clarice. Why would a red nose inspire such hatred in an adult? The following exchange goes as this. So Clarice asks, or says, Papa, her dad says, you get back to this cave this instant. And Clarice kind of like, she stutters, says, but I, I, and her dad says, this instant, young lady. And then she follows his command, saying, yes, sir. And her, her father replies to her by saying, there's one thing I want to make very plain. No doe of mine is going to be seen with a red-nosed reindeer. It's pretty harsh. So, whose child is it? Donner's or his mom's? Okay, first of all, if the mom gave birth, it's, 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 unless they're like, thinking, what? Seahorses. Seahorses carry the children. Male, Male seahorses carry the children. So, like, that's not the case with reindeer. So, it would have to have been his mom's cheating because the dad can't get pregnant. Well, yeah, I don't think reindeer can do that. That we know of. Uh, it was springtime in Santa's lead reindeer. Donner had just become a proud father. <sighs> okay, in this way, Arthur Rankin Jr., Jules Bass, and Larry Romer uh, wrote ju not just a timeless classic children's stop-motion animation, but an important story about the importance of acceptance and tolerance for those that are different. That doesn't answer the question at all. Who is the father? Is it an airplane? the airplane the father all right um should we go to the next topic we should let's see let's see if there's anything more in the article no there's nothing more in the article oh uh, let's see website indigo conspiracy theories these are for christmas also oh yes more krampus but we're probably not going to uh -oh. cover it so i would i'd like to point out that this uh that art or are we not covering this one which one? The one um with the picture of Krampus on it. Are we not going to do that one? No, I mean, we can still use the website for some stuff since there's some interesting topics. All right, so we're yeah. using indigomusic.com for this one. Did we mention what article, I mean, what website we were using for the last article? Uh, For the last one, we were using mentalfloss.com. Okay. All right, let's start this off one. with... Uh, Santa's Dark Origins. Santa was actually a demon who climbed down chimneys and ate children. Oh, oh boy. Yes, he ate, he ate the kids. According to legend, it was, saints, it was a saint's intervention that pushed him to mend his ways. So he started leaving presents for kids as a reconciliation for all the kids he ate. Yes, the path doesn't matter, but that is not how karma works, Santa. 
Kudos to the saint for convincing Santa to not eat the kids, though. We don't know how he did it, but we're happy we skipped the clutches of this hellish Santa to tell you this story. And then, oh yes, Elf on the Shelf. Have any of you guys done this? Because I've never. No. We we have an Elf on the Shelf. Uh, oh. Secure the camera. <laughs> All right, I'll go ahead and read this. Elf on the Shelf was all the rage in 2005 when the book of the same name released. And along came the creepy merchandise, particularly these little blue-eyed elves that are supposed to be placed on a shelf all year long. They're said to be Santa's eyes and ears. But wait! The theory goes like this. What if these elves were actual surveillance devices for the CIA? The average American household is being monitored for political stances and consumer patterns, so it turns out that Santa's actually an evil surveillance machine who thrives on invading personal privacy of homes across the world. Oh boy, Big Brother Santa. It's not from the article, I'm just saying that out loud. Uh... Capitalism in a surveillance state. I don't know what to say to that. Indigo music is being a little far-fetched right now. To be honest, we don't need Elf on the Shelf to be mass surveillance. We already got our phones for that. And do we do. So the next oh, one is Coca-Cola. I hear something. Is that Santa on the roof? Is right there? Or is that the SWAT team coming to get us? It's the SWAT team. Don't worry about it. The doors and windows are locked. They can't get in. I've barricaded them. Yeah, but we're okay. not in the same building. Will, get my sword from the closet. <laughs> All right. So the next theory is called a Coca-Cola Christmas. So the, the oh my goodness, I've already messed up in reading. The beverage giant hired a director in its early days to create an ad campaign for the company. This man brought to life the Santa Claus that we know with the fat belly, red clothes, rosy cheeks, and white hair. Conservatives have condemned the use of this idea to increase holiday sales. Ever since the Coca-Cola Santa hit the screen, we've been bombarded with advertisements featuring this chunky red man to depict Christmas. Christmas still remains the highest economic rise every year due to the corporate propaganda. Many Christians have started to revolt against this pagan commercial festi festival and strongly believe that the unrecorded birth of Christ is not actually on December 25th, unlike what is endorsed by Coca-Cola companies. What are they saying? Like, is this a secular art? Yeah, whatever. Oh, well. Basically, Christians revolt against the idea that um, Christ was born on the 25th of December, and that it actually has some sort of other meaning for uh, uh, um, uh, uh, large corporations. That's the word. So does this kind of tie into the theory about, like, supposedly Christmas being a pagan holiday type thing? Mm-hmm. Okay. I think it kind of does. I think that's kind of a very big, like, I think it's one of the more popular conspiracy theories about Christmas, right? All right. So next on the list is the Star Wars Holiday Special. Yes. I, I, I shall read. So for this, for this last one, uh, I, yeah, I already mentioned that we were using indigomusic.com. All right, so for this one, we are back on Wikipedia, and it begins with the Star Wars Holiday Special is a 1978 American television special set in the universe of Star Wars' scientific 
uh, I'm sorry, science fiction media franchise. Directed by Steve Binder, it was the first Star Wars spin-off film, set between the events of the original film and The Empire Strikes Back from 1980. It starts with the main cast of the original Star Wars and introduces the character Boba Fett, who appeared in later films. In the storyline that ties the special together, following the events of the original film, Chewbacca and Han Solo attempt to visit the Wookiee home planet of Kash... I don't... I'm not going to say that, but... Kashyyyk to celebrate Life Day. They're pursued by agents of the Galactic Empire who are searching for members of the Rebel Alliance on the planet. Go ahead, Ben. Okay. Even though, like, I'm pretty sure this is not canon, like, the Christmas special at all, which I would thank goodness it's not, they do do have some elements from this that they have slowly introduced into the Star Wars canon, such as Life Day and then Boba Fett. So what, where was Life Day introduced? Uh, I think, I believe in The Mandalorian. Because oh. I remember that in the first episode, it's like, I guess I won't be able to see my family for Life Day. And he's like, yeah, probably not. And then he gets frozen carbonite. Hmm. Life, Life, Day, Life Day is actually introduced uh, in the, I believe it was the last episode of the main Star Wars uh, franchise that came out, which was, oh boy, Star Wars. I don't remember off the top of my head. But they visit a desert planet to find a knife that'll lead them to the Empire, and they they celebrated life. Are we talking about the the Rise of Skywalker, the last one? Rise of Skywalker, yeah. They celebrate life day on that desert planet. Yeah. Hmm. Anyway, the special introduces three members of Chewbacca's family. His father, Itchy, his wife, Mala, Chewbacca has a wife apparently, and his son, under the name of Lumpy. Perfect name for a Wookiee. The program also features the rest of the main Star Wars characters, including Luke Skywalker, C-3PO, R2-D2, Darth Vader, and Princess Leia, all portrayed by the original cast, except for R2-D2, who is simply billed as himself. Makes sense. R2-D2 is the character. The program includes footage from the 1977 film and a cartoon produced by Toronto-based Nelvana, Oh, that's the thing with the polar bear with a star on its nose. What? Featuring the bounty hunter, Boba Fett. Nelvana is a Canadian TV company, and it's, if you ever watch, uh, like, a TV show, afterwards, it'll, like, the blue word Nelvana will kind of, like, fade onto screen, and then a polar bear will sit on top of the V, and it'll its nose will point towards a star. Okay. All right. Scenes take place in space and in spacecraft, including the Millennium Falcon and the, uh, a Star Destroyer. There are multiple. Segments also take place in a few other locales, such as Moss Eisley Cantina from the original film. The, spe- the special is notorious for its extremely negative reception and has never been rebroadcast nor officially released on home video. Makes sense. It has become something of a cultural legend due to the underground quality of its existence. It has been viewed and distributed in off-air recordings made from its original telecast by fans as bootleg copies, and it has also been uploaded to content-sharing websites. An animated sequel set after the events of the Star Wars sequel trilogy titled The Lego Star Wars Holiday Special was released on Disney Plus on November 17th of 2020. Well, you want to watch that later? Mm-hmm. I wouldn't yeah. suggest it. Well, I yeah. watched it. It's entirely lame. It's it's basically learning the uh, the uh, the uh, uh, 
value of time with family. I'd much and, rather watch the original holiday special in that case. Okay. I'm going to see if it's on YouTube. Okay. So here's the plot of the uh, original. On Life Day, Chewbacca, accompanied by Han Solo, is headed home to see his family. Along the way, the duel is chased by two Star Destroyers, but they escape into hyperspace. Meanwhile, I'm going to chic. Sorry, I had something in my throat. Chewbacca. Okay. Meanwhile, in Kashyyyk, Chewbacca's family is preparing for his return. Hoping to find the Millennium Falcon, his wife, Mala, runs a computer scan for starships in the air, but is unsuccessful. Mala contacts Luke Skywalker, who, along with R2-D2, is working on his X-Wing fighter. Luke tells her that he does not know what happened. Mala contacts San Don, a local trader. He tells her through a carefully worded message that Han and Chewbacca are on their way and should be arriving soon. Mala then attempts unsuccessfully to prepare a meal, the instructions of which are being aired via a local cooking show by eccentric four-armed alien cook, Chef Gormanda, played by Harvey Corman. Can we just pause a second? I wonder if that's related to uh, Dex Rex, I think was his name, the uh, the chef from Attack of the Clones. Remember that? Oh, okay. Well, he don't, I don't think it looks like him. Also. But it says four-armed alien cook. Yeah, hold on a second. Let me copy and paste. Chef Gromanda. If I can copy. Okay. And in case if you watched the holiday special, you might notice that actor the actor that plays Luke, Mark Hamill, looks a bit funny, I think. I, if I remember correctly, sometime between the sometime between the years of when uh, A New Hope came out and uh, The Empire Strikes Back, he actually got in a car wreck. So that's why he might look different. Oh. It's kind of scary. Is that family guy? Yeah, I think they're just actually home. Chef Elzar from Futurama is visually based on Gromanda from Star Wars. Oh, okay, cool. From the, oh, oh from look at this. Look at this image. It's, uh, where did it go? Uh, hold on. It is. Oh, no, I'll get to that one risky part. Uh, okay, wait. Yeah. Okay, there it is. Yeah. I have sent the link to the chat. Okay. What it, is it? It's the holiday special. I've already watched part of it before, I think. And then also JonTron has a video about it. Yeah, I, I watched the first two minutes of it with my microphone off. And first of all, it's very 1980s, I'd like to say. Because well, it, it, it has the nice. text, a CBS special production, and it smacks into your face. And again, Very it was not 1980s, but yeah. You continue on. Okay, I gotta find the Wikipedia article again. Okay, there it is. All right. Son arrives with Life Day gifts for everyone, including a virtual reality fantasy program featuring Diane Carroll for Itchy. This is the that that features the risque part of the film. That oh, it was like meant for TV, and it's also like they. I'm pretty sure it was like they made it family friendly enough. That's why I heard from watching the Dontron thing. Or yeah, back on the Falcon, Chewbacca and Han have just come out of hyperspace, not far from Kashyyyk. Han notices an increased Imperial presence, so they decide to land in an unguarded area to the north. 
As they enter the atmosphere, Lumpy hears the roaring of the ship. Believing Han and Chewie might be arriving, Mala opens the door, but instead finds two stormtroopers and officers. The Imperials force their way into the house, and the officer orders a search for Chewbacca. As they search, San and the others attempt to distract them with food and Mala's music video box, which features a video by Jefferson Starship. Okay, Jefferson Starship is an American rock band from San Francisco. San Francisco, California, that, that evolved out of the group Jefferson Airplane following the departure of ba bassist Jack Keston. Uh, okay, cool. Never heard of them, but I might give them a listen later. When the music finishes, the head officer orders to search. Head, the, the head officer orders the search to continue. The head officer tells Mala to keep Lumpy, Lumpy busy while they search his room. And so Lumpy, in the viewing audience, uses a view screen to watch a cartoon of his father's many adventures. During the search for Talisman, the Millennium Falcon crashes on the water moon of Pana. With the main characters on board, they run into Boba Fett, who saves Luke from a giant monster and, cl and claims to want to help the rebels. They all board the Falcon, where Han has been infected by a mysterious sleeping virus caused by the Talisman. Luke then contracts the virus as well. Fett and Chewie go into the Pana city to get the cure. Once they get into the Imperial Occupied City, Fett instructs Chewie to stay behind, so he can contact Darth Vader. On the Falcon, C-3PO is caring for Han and Luke. R2-D2 intercepts the transmission between Vader and Fett. Evading the Imperials, Fett and Chewie return to the Falcon with the cure. After everyone recovers from the virus, they learn of, of Fett's two allegiances. He blasts away using his jetpack, promising they will meet again. The heroes head back to the Rebel base aboard the Falcon. you want to read now? Sure. Lumpy works to create a translation device that will fool the Imperials into returning to their base by faking their commander's voice. To do so, he first must watch the manual for the device, being presented by a malfunctioning, incompetent robot, also played by Corman. While the Imperials are searching downstairs, the living room view screen activates, announcing that Tatooine is being put under curfew by the Empire because of subversive forces. The video is announced as required viewing for all Imperial forces, and much of it features Akmena, Bay Arthur, E. Arthur, B. Arthur. She's from Golden Girls. Oh, interesting. Running the most icy cantina, Akmena is approached by an admirer, Krellman, an amorous alien, who has misunderstood something she said to him recently. Akmena announces last call and, upon being ignored, sings a farewell song. Lumpy uses this opportunity to put his plan into motion, making a repeated call for the Imperials to return to base. They leave, but one stormtrooper stays behind and realizes they were being tricked. He finds Lumpy and destroys the machine then chases Lumpy outside. Han and Chewbacca arrive. Chewie protects Lumpy as Han kills the stormtrooper. After they are reunited, an Imperial officer appears on the view screen, giving a general alert for the missing stormtrooper. Sean quickly responds that the trooper stole supplies and deserted. The danger averted, the family prepares to go to the festival at the Great Tree of Life. They hold glowing orbs and appear in space wearing red robes. Wookiees walk into a bright star and arrive at the Tree of Life, where many are gathered, including C-3PO and R2-D2. Luke, Leia, and Han also appear. Leia gives a short speech and sings a song in celebration. Chewie remembers his adventures during the events of the original film. Finally, the Wookiee family sits around a table and bows their heads. Whack. <laughs> So like I'm I'm reading the list of producers. So the the producers were Joe Layton, Jeff Starch, Ken Welch, and Mitzi Welch. 
like the juice company. Are you, are you related to these people, Jonathan? I do not think so, but I will have to check. Because they will, they are responsible for the least well-received Star Wars movie in history. So, I'm, I'm going to see if this man is still alive. I wonder if this, uh, if this special has a worse rating than uh, Episode Eight, The Last Jedi. I wonder which one wins out is officially worse. I think the last two guys actually getting some po- more positive reviews that the people are learning to appreciate more over the last couple of years. Mm-hmm. Well, has a 27% on Rotten Tomatoes Star Wars Holiday Special. Well, let's see. All right. So the last Jedi in 2017 received. Oh, jeez. Uh, a ninety percent. Oh wow! From rock. From the from the critical um, YouTube audience, you would have expected like a ten percent. I'm looking up which Star Wars movie is the least rated. All right, so the Clone Wars from two thousand eight gotten 18%. Rise of Skywalker got 51. Hmm. Episode 1 got a 52. Episode 2 got a 65. Episode, uh, well, Solo, A Star Wars Story got a 69. Uh, Episode 3 got an 80. Uh, Episode 6 got an 82. Number 6 is Return of the Jedi. The one where Leia wears a leopard print bikini, apparently. Uh, Rogue One got 84, Star Wars The Last Jedi got a 90, Episode 4, A New Hope got a 92, Uh, Episode 7, The Force Awakens got a 92 from Rotten Tomatoes, which is practically a miracle. Episode 5, The Empire Strikes Back, 94. Star Wars is rated pretty high. Yeah, I watched The Dead Day for the first time, and I heard that... Either reading or watching this one thing, it said, like, part of the reason why a lot of people may not have received it that well was technically it was a pilot to the cartoon series, but mm. it was also technically a couple episodes just strewn straight in together. Yeah, that's true, actually. I remember that. Because it's just, like, a couple of arcs just poked in together. One of the... So, Missy Welch, one of the producers for the Star Wars Holiday Specials, 89 years old. As of July 25th of this year. Uh, this one is wrong. See, what other stuff is in here? Oh, wow. What? So, Ken Welch, uh, part, one of the producers, uh, was married to Mitzi Welch. He was born on February 4th, 1926, in Kansas City, Missouri. And oh. he died the 26th of 2019. So he died almost two years ago. Okay. He has a child. How old's his son? Or not son, child. 53 years. Okay. Let's see. Legacy cannot, cannot, cannot insist he have the special. 
Despite the unpopularity of the special, Lucasfilm maintained its status as part of the continuity, placing it halfway between episodes four and five from nineteen seventy eight to twenty fourteen. Most elements of the holiday special fell under a secondary level of canon superseded by other licensed works. This was clarified in 2007 by Leland Chi, who maintains Lucasfilm's internal continuity database called the Holocron. According to Chi, the Holocron contained at least 28 entries about the Star Wars Holiday Special by that point. These placed all elements referred to in other works, such as Life Day and Chewbacca's family members. In an intermediary level of canon, Chi stated that the elements not substantially referred to were given the next lowest rank. She also confirmed that Leslie Schofield appears as an unnamed character in the Star Wars Holiday Special, and not the character he played in New Hope named Chief Bast. Previously, this confusion had caused fans to question whether Blast's death aboard the Death Star was genuine, drawing on a hint in the customizable card game. After Lucasfilm was acquitted by the Walt Disney Company, the Holocron was tired. Only the episodic films and animated series beginning with the Clone Wars were declared part of the new canon. J.J. Abrams referred to the holiday special as canon in a 2015 interview. The Life Day was mentioned in the first episode of the canon live-action series, The Mandalorian. Yeah! I'm, I'm actually happy about this. <laughs> I'm very pleased that this is canon. Well, I think parts of it are canon, parts of it are not canon. Well, Life Day is not. Because I it's being used. It's canons in The Mandalorian. Whatever. We trust J.J. Abrams. The whole thing is canon, based on the 2015 movie. Well, I gotta go. I gotta go talk to him. I can't pop my knuckles. <laughs> I'm kidding, J.J. I'm going to just call up J.J. Abrams on a random Sunday night. It's like, yo, remember the horrible... The, oh my goodness, I'm having a stroke. The Star Wars holiday special from 1978. You want to tell me a little bit more about that, sir? No? Too bad. And then you just say, that's a nice house you got there. Be ashamed if something were to happen to it. No, I wouldn't do that. I'm kidding, yeah. No, my, we're not... Oh my gosh, I could get... We're going to get swatted now. Great. You brought this upon yourself, Ben. It's not Santa anymore. It's SWAT team. Mr. Abrams, All right. you're... This, we are joking, and we do not mean you harm. I don't think he would ever listen to this. You never know. Ever. I mean, it, he might be in the age bracket. Hey, Google. How old is J.J. Abrams? He falls within our largest demographic at 54. So 45 to 59, he falls within our, our, our uh, audience bracket. Where does he live is the question, because our... Right, let's stop can, right there. Stop right there. Let's, let's, let's find out some more stuff about the Star Wars Holiday Special. All right. Okay, so music, original music is composed by Star Wars Holiday Special by Ken and Mincy Welch. Okay, yeah. Where's Los Angeles? What? And what state is Los Angeles? That's California, and please stop trying to look up where he lives. Oh, I know where he lives. Give the man his privacy, John. I'm looking at what our states are, Ben. Let's see. I think we're safe, because 
there's no there is no California in our uh, our geographic location. However, there is a Kentucky. Forty-five to fifty-nine, thirty-nine percent. All right, let's move on to Die Hard. Wait, wait, wait! I'm still, I'm still, let's still read some of the stuff from the uh, Star Wars Holiday Special because there's some actual interesting stuff I found on here earlier, such as from right. some stuff that was used in the special, other than like live day and stuff. I think they actually might have took inspiration from some of the props used and used it in like Revenge of the Sith. Whack. And it says Boba Fett, the appearance was based on footage of the unpainted costume from The Empire Strikes Back. Scuff up the costume a little bit. Um, so we can thank this special for Boba Fett, one of the all time favorite Star Wars characters. Without Boba yeah, Fett, well, we, without Boba Fett, we wouldn't have the Mandalorian. Without the Mandalorian, we would not have happiness. And without all hail baby Yoda. His name is Grogu. <laughs> ben, he hasn't watched the second. No, I've seen that from the memes. I that part was already spoiled. He's also called the Child. Grogu on a Roku is my favorite elf on the shelf similarity. <laughs> I remember best star on the Death Star. I saw this one picture, and it said the first thing I thought of when I, when I heard his name was Groku, and it just shows Photoshop Super Saiyan hair on Groku along with the Photoshop coming out. Like, huh? Oh, okay. So I I have a question. So Beskar is is re- is resistant to explosions, laser laser uh, bullets. I don't know what those things are called. Lightsaber damage, and like most other damage. So like, could the Death Star have ha- have had a shell that was made up out of Beskar steel, and its only vulnerability was from the inside? That makes sense because remember the unprotected exhaust port. Yeah, exactly. You know the one that like looks like they're like Luke. You switched off your targeting computer. What's wrong? Nothing. Luke Skywalker has very good aim. Yeah. Remember that one picture where I, where, where, that I showed you that showed, like, someone photoshopped that one scene from Harry Potter where it has Harry and Ron in their flying car and they're looking back terrified. Well, no, no, not Thomas Tangent the one, but, like, they they edited it where they're in the Death Star Trench <laughs> and they're looking back terrified as they're being chased by Tom. Oh, my gosh. do 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 I mean, John Williams actually did compose some of the music for Harry Potter, and he also composed for Star Wars. I get any hate mail from the Harry Potter fans, Benjamin. There will be repercussions. Speaking of mail, have we got any more emails from that one guy who was like, don't report what you're saying, it's true. No, we we haven't got any more hate mail, which is like practically a miracle. Will, don't you give us hate mail. <laughs> I promise it's here. <laughs> I think don't I worry. The, e- the email for uh, podcast uh, ideas 
or like topic ideas will be in the description of the podcast. So they can also just use that to send us hate mail. So yeah, let's see. I think of what else is in this article that I found interesting. Okay, that wasn't a whole lot. But yeah, I'd say, uh, I think I've tried watching part of the holiday special once. I didn't find it that entertaining. I think I found it kind of boring and cringy. I mean, I haven't seen all of it, but I've seen like the first two minutes. So maybe, maybe not, in my opinion, but I will. I'm going to end up watching the rest of it eventually. <laughs> All right, so Die Hard. Yes, the the time old discussion of whether or not Die Hard is actually a Christmas movie. Oh wait, 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 Jose, I have a second link to the uh, Star Wars Holiday Special. Gosh dang. Okay. It gives some more detail about how George Lucas thought about it. So this quote right here is from Kevin J. Anderson. Well, I know that George Lucas doesn't like it at all. When I was working on the Illustrated Star Wars universe, he told me that he would be happy if every copy would be tracked down and burned. Well, it's on YouTube, so he can do nothing about that because it's under fair trade. And the the DCMAA. Or the DMMCA. Yeah. I'm going to read some... I'm I'm skimming through the uh, wiki fandom for the Star Wars thing. Lucas's involvement with the special was limited, and he was unhappy with the final product. As a result, it never been re-aired in the U.S. or officially released on home video, but has been widely bootlegged by fans. Despite its infamy, the special is notable for being the first first film-length Star Wars story to appear following the release of the original film. Fiction Cameron filed the film's major cast and for introducing the character Boba Fett. And I like how they have Mandalorian ads inside. Mm -hmm. It's all coming together. It rhymes like poetry. That's an actual quote from George Lucas, I think. Okay, cool. I think I read part of this yesterday. I just want to get to... Then, yeah, there's some parts that talk about the costume design stuff. Merchandising, home video. So, okay, let's want to read the home video one. Okay. Well, I'll read it, but like Good I meant one. if you want me to. Okay. Home video. At the 1987 Star Wars 10th anniversary convention, George Lucas told Starlog magazine that he expected the holiday special to be released on a VHS format at some point. However, Lucasfilm has yet to give the holiday special a home video release on any format. And former Lucasfilm director of fan relations, Stephen J. Sansweet, claimed that there will not be one. In 2004, Star Wars DVD producer Van Ling held a Q&A session with the Washington Post, in which he was asked about the possibility of a DVD release special. He replied, I seriously doubt it, given that it is... I mean, it can be if we want to, John. I mean, we're already two minutes away, so keep going. Okay. Claimed there will not be one. In 2004, Star Wars DVD producer... I held a Q&A session with the Watch Post, which he asked about, yeah, okay. He replied, I seriously doubt it, given that it has never been shown again 
after its initial broadcast, let alone released on home video. But as I always say, never say never. Filmmaker Kevin Burns was allowed to access the original print for his use in Empire Dreams documentary. However, the segment using footage from the special was left out of the final cut. Is there a way to download YouTube videos to like your computer to run them to disks and distribute them? <laughs> well, there's a will, there's a way. Just, just sell these copies at like the thrift store in town. Yeah, just like throw them at Yardbird. Yeah, or like your mom has a boot has a boutique shop, right? Uh, it's currently all online. Oh, okay. Sell it online. I I shall I shall endeavor that. We are very close to our longest podcast. All right, let's move on to Die Hard. <laughs> All right. Is, is, okay, so we have two links for the Die Hard one. One's uh, CNET and one's Men's Journal. We'll probably cover the CNET one first. All right. Is Die Hard a Christmas movie? Director John McTiernan has thoughts. That's an interesting way to phrase that, but it doesn't sound grimly correct. But oh, well, it's not just December saying that that makes the 1988 action classic a holiday movie. Die Hard, the 1988 action movie starring Bruce Willis. It's about Santa or else, but it still... Oh, yeah, this this one's from the CNET one. But it still shows up on numerous lists on top Christmas movies. Of course, the film... <coughs> Thank you. Okay. But of course, the film's set at Christmas, and you can even buy unofficial shirts and face masks touting the Nakatomi Plaza Christmas Party 1988. But is it really a Christmas movie? The film's director, John McTiernan, gave an interview to the American Film Institute about what exactly he and producer Jill Silver had in mind. And strap in, because McTiernan has a complex thought process about the whole thing. Oh, gosh dang it, no, I don't want notifications from this website. McTiernan's interview is tough to summarize. He discusses everything from fast food to how art helped bring down the King of France to his strong feelings about the past four years in American politics. But his thoughts on Die Hard reveal that the movie changed in focus from the original script. To begin with, the Die, to begin with Die Hard was a terrorist movie, and it was about these terrible leftist terrorists who come into the Valhalla of capitalism. McTiernan said, and it was really about the stern face of authority stepping in to put things right again. But McKeown didn't want to make that movie. He told Silver he took inspiration from the classic 1946 Christmas movie, It's a Wonderful Life, especially, in, especially the scene in which hero George Bailey discovers that his own town, Bedford Falls, has become the sleazy Pottersville. He wanted, he wanted, he said, a movie where the hero is a real human being and the people of authority, all their point folks, were portrayed as kind of foolish. McKeown's focus made all the difference. McKeown said lending it's a sneaky... Lending it a sneaky feeling that the filmmakers were getting away with something. We had it intended to be a Christmas movie, but the joy that came from all came from it turned into a Christmas movie. He said, and he goes on to draw the connection between terrorists in the film and current events in the United States. My hope at Christmas this year is that you all that you all remember the authoritarians are low-status, angry men who have gone to rich people and said, "If you give us power, we'll make sure nobody takes your stuff." He said, "All those things you mess with power." 
are meant to scare us, meant to shut us up so we don't kick them in the side of the road and let decent people of the world get on with building a future. Merry Christmas, and I hope and I hope we have a better year. All right, to the next article. Gotta get rid of two tabs. All right. Which is, is Die Hard a Christmas movie from Men's Journal? Is Die Hard a Christmas movie? We try to sell the debate. As Sarah reports, three Christmas songs play in the movie, including Let It Snow, Winter Wonderland, and Christmas in Hollis. I've never heard of that one. During the opening of the movie, John McClane, Bruce Willis, has the exchange with his driver, Argyle DeVoe White, his limo driver. You have any Christmas music? McClane asks Argyle after he plays Christmas in Hollis. This is Christmas music, Argyle responds. Okay, yeah, this. Okay. okay, and then they're going to the debate on whether, well, there's more debate on whether it is or whether it's not. And it's like, yes, the final scene. After Devinza and Nakatomi Plaza, McLean takes Holly, Bonnie Bedelia, and brings her to the limo that he arrived to the party in, saying, Merry Christmas, Argyle. Then as Argyle goes around to the car to the driver's seat, he says, if this is, if this is your idea of Christmas, I gotta be here for New Year's. The scene comes out at the end of this video. Verdict. Yes, Die Hard is a Christmas movie. Here's why. The answer to this question really does depend on what your personal definition of a Christmas movie is. But based on the evidence, we are ruling in favor of yes, Die Hard takes place on Christmas. The movie has multiple Christmas songs, that, are, and there are many Christmas references in the script. The debate may rage on, but we see Die Hard as a Christmas movie staple. So if we see Die Hard as a Christmas movie, doesn't that mean we have to see Home Alone as a Christmas movie? Home Alone was a Christmas movie. Um... And during Christmas time. Right. Well, this article is longer. I don't know, maybe... Some, maybe I viewed a different article that explained more in depth on some stuff. Or do I keep scrolling down to see what else they have? And uh, nope, there's nothing interesting down here. All right. Now, on to our final discussion of what we... Uh, which is discussion of the grand finale of 2020. And right now... We have two links detailing some of the events that happened in 2020. The 58 ones, we're just going to go over a couple. Let's see. Uh, oh, yeah, I forgot Brexit happened. Let's Brexit see, what, happened. Yeah, I forgot about that. Let's see, there were locust swarms in Africa. Harvey Weinstein was sentenced to, to prison for sex crimes. Remember that? I do. Yeah, and then me too. And then Michael Bloomberg ran for president for a bit. Whack. I know. Okay. I mean, so did Kanye West, so. Yeah. Australia faced devastating fires, and California joined them later. I don't know why, but it seems kind of sad to me that I've just gotten used to California being on fire at least once every year. Eh, it'll have it'll stop eventually. Yeah. No, it won't. We started the year by making lol World War Three memes. I had Trump was impeached for a bit and then wasn't quitted. And then according to number twelve in this article, we were risking it all to watch cats, Doolittle, and Sonic the Hedgehog in theaters. Is Doolittle on Disney Plus? 
I don't know. Oh, this is the Robert Downey Jr. little version. Yeah. We thought stockpiling on toilet paper would save us from the virus. Did not. Did, I, did, did you hear about a movie called The Tenant? I watched Tenant, yeah. It was confusing, but really good. Okay, because it says 14, The Tenant was in theaters for like 47 months of the pandemic. I can confirm. I saw it like many months ago, and it is still in theaters today. Well, at least it's giving its play. Mm-hmm. I think it kind of deserves it. I am Jalen Shakiro and Shakira, not Shakira, what the heck am I saying? <laughs> at the uh, Super Bowl happened. I, I didn't really watch that performance. I was distracted by something. Probably good. Yeah. Jared Leto and Big Brother contestants found out about the pandemic weeks after everyone else did. So Doolittle isn't actually a Disney movie. It's universal. And then here's a tweet from the from Jared Leto talking about finding out about the pandemic, which says, wow, 12 days ago, I began a silent meditation in the desert. We were totally isolated. No phone, no communication, etc. We had no idea what was happening outside the facility. When he says, uh, that, yeah. when he says the facility, it makes me think he's secretly an SCP and he somehow got out. Huh. Uh, oh boy. SCP Leto has escaped. <laughs> Let's see. Uh, I don't need to know about that, about Governor Kumo's nipple. Ah, no, crap. Can we just talk about the things? Can, before we wrap up here, can we just talk about the crazy things you found on like private selling websites like Craigslist or Facebook Buy Sell Trade or Marketplace? I mean, I haven't found anything. What have you found? So, um, I was scrolling through a couple days ago, and I pulled it up. Well, actually, I did this this morning. I was scrolling through, and I pulled this up, and I'm going to... I'm going to share my screen. Can you see what I'm saying? Uh, I see your computer background. Uh, here, I'll just, I will send it in the chat and you can look at it. All right, I'll I'll look at it after the podcast or something. But basically, it's these two guys holding up the Book of Mormon. And the description reads, hello, we're giving away free books of Mormon. The Book of Mormon is a set of ancient records comparable to the Bible. And when used together, you can become closer to God. That is the whole listing. So it's just Mormons trying to sell the Book of Mormon. Yeah. Okay. There's also there's also one of these sneakers that says brand new with box and both soles are torn off the bottom and there are no shoelaces. So <laughs> All right. Have you ever found anything like absolutely insane like anything? Um, I don't think I'm really on Facebook marketplace a whole lot. What about you, Will? I mean, I was looking for a bike for a long time, but uh, I got to thinking it probably wouldn't be smart of me to trust Facebook Marketplace for a bike, considering everything that could possibly be wrong with it. Let's see. Yeah. Back, to, 
Back to our Kanye West not only ran for president, but was endorsed by Chance the Rapper and Elon Musk. And then he also gifted Kim Kardashian a hologram of her deceased father. A hologram? Yes. I didn't know holograms were even a thing yet. I mean, they made a hologram of Tupac a couple years back. A Bolivian orchestra was trapped in a castle by wolves. <laughs> what? Stranded in a German castle for 73 days during the pandemic. The castle's oh, several packs of wolves. I mean, at least they're quarantined from COVID, so <laughs> I guess that's nice. With wolves! <laughs> I did not need to know that about Chris Evans. Oh yeah, the internet stand Kim Yo Young, Kim Jong Un's sister, and it shows the Hi, my name is Kim Yo Young, or Jong. I I, I probably pronounced it right. And I'm late for my first day as dictator. Anime opening plays. Mm. Oh, that conspiracy theory about Kim Jong Un dying. Oh yeah, have you guys discussed that one on the podcast? I feel like we probably might have mentioned it whenever it first became popular, but I mean, he's still alive, so that proves that the theory is wrong. No, no, no. I saw some pretty convincing pictures, like a before and after of a certain date, and like I think they might possibly be using an uh, an actor because he has like a different jawline than he used to. He has just so many different features that really wouldn't be possible. That one is pretty. This podcast gets the United States nuked. Where? <laughs> Let my name not be attached to it. <laughs> Too late. Oh, dang it. <laughs> yes, you introduced yourself at the top. <laughs> Let's see, and then apparently there was supposed trafficking that involved Wayfair. Through cabinets. Let's see. Okay, go on. Oh, yeah, Gl- uh, Gisane Maxwell's arrested. This involves Jeffrey Epstein, for those of you who don't know. Oh no, we're getting swatted now. <laughs> well, it was nice knowing you all. Okay, Trump went, Trump claimed he was banning TikTok like seven different times and just forgot about it. Everything was cake and we will never trust anything again. All right, then, it's, it's just about time to wrap up. It is currently 5.28. Right. Oh, yeah, and then Carol Baskin was a contestant on Dancing with the Stars. I think <laughs> Were you really? Yes. Oh, boy, that's, that's bad. Let's see. Remember Queeby? I don't think I do. 3B launched and shut down only six months and a, and a $1.75 billion later. Oh, oh the Boston Dynamics dog happened. So, like, the really big breakthrough in robotics with the, the big yellow banana dog for that Boston Dynamics built. Also, Macaulay Culkin turned 40. He looks like he's been on meth. Mm-hmm. I, I think 
he's got I think he's gotten better over the years. I think he's getting back into acting. Uh, let's see. Wait, what? Oh, uh, look. Ebola decided to come back at the worst possible time, apparently. <laughs> All right, kids. It's just about time well, to wrap up. Hold on. Uh, remember Aunt Becky from Full House and Fuller House? Yeah, she went to prison. <clears throat> well, the actor did, not the character. But No, the character's gone to prison as well. Yeah. Uh, the Trump administration was sponsored by Goya for a bit. Yeah, you did, we've, we've talked about that. Oh, yeah. Do, 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 do. Entire super Donald space Karen. <laughs> They're calling Elon Musk space Karen. I don't remember his Elon name. Musk had a child and named it. Oh, yeah. Unpronounceable. Yeah. Vin Diesel debuted a song to an audience of monolith-sized slabs of iPad people. Ooh, scroll up a bit, Ben. I saw something interesting. Michael B. Jordan won People's Sexiest Man Alive. Um, that must be a mistake because uh, I'm looking at him right now, Mr. Ben Turner. <laughs> <laughs> Tony has been weird because Ben didn't get that award. Well, you're engaged to my sister. Please stop using her to try to get to me. <laughs> Shoot. I've been called out. Oh yeah, the Pentagon released UFO videos and no one cared. Well, I mean, r slash UFO really cared. <laughs> see. Okay, now the other article and then we should be done for the Christmas special. Oh yeah, this one this one article also mentions Elon Musk's son. Okay, so the Olympics are postponed. Elon Musk names his baby boy X A E A dash one two. And him and his wife could not agree on the pronunciation of it in the beginning because they both told two different stories on how it was pronounced. Is Serial number in class today. Uh, it's pronounced Kyle. As he's drinking. Oh, please, no. <laughs> Let's see. A star went missing. Have you ever heard of a massive star disappearing for nearly two decades? Astronomers studied the star in, in a galaxy 75 million light years away, reports the Atlantic. Recently, they looked at the latest observations and realized they could not find it anymore. The discovery was announced last month, and it could be the first instance of a star collapsing into a black hole without first exploding into a supernova. Mystery, mystery drones over Colorado and Nebraska. In January, people in the U.S. states of Colorado and Nebraska began to report mysterious drones in the sky. According to New York Post, rumors flew thick and fast about drones as big as a car flying in grid patterns in the night sky. Military. Yeah. Uh, murder hornets. I think we've heard enough about that. And then I found this earlier while looking at this article, which I never knew about. A monkey stole COVID samples. That's pretty weird. 
pretty whack, yo. <laughs> in a bizarre incident in one of the other Pradesh's largest government hospitals, a monkey attacked a lab technician, snatched vials containing blood samples from three coronavirus patients, and escaped. A video of the incident, which occurred in, the, in May, shows the monkey sitting atop a tree with the samples and, and it stole. Uh, with the samples it stole. Oh, what the heck? Poland accidentally invaded the Czech, the Czech Republic. Accidental invasions are not unheard of, but they remain uncommon. In a minor misunderstanding, the Polish military recently invaded and briefly occupied territory in the Czech Republic and stopped locals from entering a church in their own country, reports NPR. The misunderstanding was quickly cleared up and the Polish army retreated. I want to know how that happens, how you just accidentally occupy another country's church. Mm -hmm. Let's see, Pentagon released three UFO videos, which is what we mentioned earlier about the U.S. government releasing videos about it, and no one seemed to care. All right. The United States Department of Defense officially re released three short videos showing unidentified aerial phenomena in a statement dated April 27th. Oh, hey, that's my birthday. The Department of Defense said the videos were taken by Navy pilots in 2004 and 2005 and have been circulating on the Internet since they were leaked in 2007 and 2017. That's it. That's the article. <laughs> All right, kids, we are getting to one hour and 33 minutes. I'm not sure Anchor is going to be happy about this. We will see. Well, boys, it's been fun. See you next time. Bye. All right. Uh, Bye. Merry Christmas. Yep. Let 2021 be better than this year.